I, I, I blame it's the FSB. They think, oh, really? Yeah. Well, because it, it's I, a lot of people think we're funded by Russia, but actually Russia, as, as, as what is now a sort of reactionary power in the world, uh, finds our particular brand of um, sort of gentle ribbing of liberal figures to be very threatening. Yeah, I mean, they would, of course. They're going <laughs> to intervene in that. I, I, I personally can't wait for them to find a cadre of native Russian speakers that happen to be living in our podcast and then invade our RSS feed in order to protect them. I think I saw some outside your flat, actually. <laughs> <laughs> some, just, just some native Russian speakers, just being, being native, uh, native Russian speakers, under threat, of course, yeah. and uh, desperate for, the, for this to become a Russian podcast. So oh, welcome, welcome to the FSB cast. How is your Russian writing? Uh, non-existent. <laughs> Welcome again, once again, to me fucking up the intro again, which I do every time to this, the podcast, Trash Future, the podcast about how the future, if we do not implement fully automated luxury gay space communism, is and will be trash. Fucking nailed it. Yeah. Wow. Nice one, Riley. I can't believe I was present for this like, heroic achievement. Intro yet. <laughs> Finally. It's like just three times I've ever gotten it right. Yeah, I know. I was just watching you just, he's going to trip. He's going to trip. You didn't trip. <laughs> I fucking reload bars. You should just, yeah, yeah. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> run, run that shit back. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> didn't even trip not even one. Oh fuck yes there's vomit on my sweater though <laughs> oh well i mean you know there's the pros and cons to this look i'm not about to commit the cardinal sin of uh confusing grime with uh with rap because that is just completely wrong Reboten. but uh well i have everyone's attention and you've all been thoroughly welcomed back in a way that had very few errors uh, uh, I'm going to present uh, this week's lineup. We have in the ball. Uh, yeah, it's me, Marlo Edwards. Uh, still, still in Russia. Unfortunately, I have like a really some kind of really horrendous problem with my nose right now. Like it's horribly chapped. Uh, it's I don't know what to do with it. Uh, my mom wants me to go to a doctor, but obviously I can't do that because I'm in Russia. So you know, if anyone has any advice for like a horrendously chapped under nose area, uh, do hit me up with advice at Milo underscore Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, moisturizer, man, just moisturizer. No that man, that's is... made it worse. It made it crust. <laughs> that is God. a detail we did not need to hear. Yeah, um, well now it's happened. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi, I'm Dan Hancock's. Uh, I'm guessing this week. Yeah, uh, hell yeah. I'm slightly hungover. I went to a publishing dinner last night where I met Kathy Newman from Channel 4 News and Naomi Alderman, the novelist, mm -hmm. and uh, the Raven Master of the Tower of London who wore his outfit and uh, slightly unsettled us all by doing so. It's a sex thing. That really yeah. sounds like a World of Warcraft character. It really, yeah, no, right? And he, he was boasting, so he's written a book about being the Raven Master of the Tower of London, and he was boasting about how he has all of these ravens under his command, you know, he communes with them, <laughs> and, right? And, uh, you know, his, his, his posse, essentially. And then he revealed the number. He was like, yeah, you know, we, we need to have six ravens in the Tower of London or London will fall, as the legend goes. But, I, you know, we have seven just in case one of them gets ill. And I was looking around at people like, what, you have seven ravens? I have more ravens than that. That's not an impressive number of ravens. Where's your like squad of a thousand? You'd want them to be able to like swoop down and- Do you actually have more ravens than that? That seems like quite a lot of ravens for the average are we gonna, man. Are you, are you fact checking me, Milo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, this is trash future, not lie future. 
Uh, I just love that I'm this guy. Just Elon Musk, and I care a lot about the truth. <laughs> I lo- well, we'll get into that. But I just, I, I, my favorite thing about the Raven Master is that he's like a sort of Victorian Elizabethan version of the Brendan Lee superhero, the Crow, but, um, but like wearing the Victorian Elizabethan version of the Crow's like all black getup, uh, which looks fucking hilarious kind of steampunk actually oh yeah get get the raven master in the avengers it like gets towards the end and he's like well now truly the avengers are defeated i've killed all six of your ravens and the raven master goes six ravens you say i've killed all six of your ravens but there's one more and that rogue renegade raven will come back and save the day redeem everything and like holy shit we we just we just pitched the lamest superhero film like the lamest, fattest superhero film. I go see it's it. It's not lamer than the actual Avengers: Infinity War, which is <laughs> one of the true. worst films. Yeah, that's ever true. Seen. <laughs> I love. I, oh fuck! I, the whole like, Infinity War thing. It's like now they have to be. Like, it's going to be like trading insults in the playground and like year three, where it's like, yeah, well, I have Infinity Plus One War. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a fucking at- Avengers: like, Infinity War. This time it's Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, this War thing that never ends. I know. I know that like it's so tired to be like, oh, I don't like the Marvel movies, and like a zillion think pieces got written about that because everyone wants to like. To be honest, everyone wants to be able to fuck off of writing clever articles about how they're a socialist who doesn't like pop culture. Mm-hmm. But as a socialist who doesn't, doesn't like work. pop culture, honestly, like those oh, yeah. movies, those movies are just fucking show asinine. Yeah. Uh, I'm aware also we're doing a really late review, but fuck it. It counts for solo as well. It's like yeah. all of these, all of these extended universe films. It's so fucking boring because all they've done is they've replaced the eventfulness of storytelling with just a litany of facts for you to mm-hmm. memorize. Yeah. And it's like, it's a Wikipedia page, basically, yeah. of, of like... Because it's like, why do you... You, do, you listen to a story to feel something or be edified or to somehow engage with something, not to learn how Hawkeye found his fucking bow. <laughs> you shouldn't be listening... It, any lesson a story teaches you presumably should be implicit, not just a fact someone made up for you to obsess over. It's yeah. like... It's like, I can't remember who, who wrote this, but remember there was um, an ethicist who writes about like... Who was sort of saying, look, you can't... Like you, one of the main problems of sort of a purely consequentialist ethical philosophy is that you could get everyone addicted to heroin and then fulfill all their desires for heroin. Like you have to have merit goods. And just these yeah. films are just the, the most distant thing from a merit good at all. Like at least heroin's allegedly nice. These are just sort of <laughs> visually dull. Redeeming qualities of heroin. So. My, my favorite part of the film was still like all the people with like insane godlike powers battling it out who can like move the earth with the power of their mind. And there's one guy just shooting at them with an M4. Like, yeah, you, you're helping. Good. Good. <laughs> no, it's America. I, I just, I, it's, yeah. I, I I only have an interest in those movies, uh, in as much as they help me write uh, socialist pop culture, anti pop culture think pieces, uh, whereby I'm then able to be like, huh? <laughs> Raise my eyebrows in this audio only medium. At least they're oh, generative. Yeah. They're productive in that respect. Aren't they all like three hours long as well? Is that, yeah. is that are they cursed by that problem of modern Hollywood of like length is you know depth? I oh I'll I'll say this. I'm excited for when there's one movie a year that's seven days long and it features every <laughs> character that's owned by the entertainment mega conglomerate. And so eventually you'll ha- you'll find out like what happens when Superman punches Homer Simpson in the gut. Does Hank Hill come and help him? What's Sonic doing during all of this? Inspector you know? Morse joins the Batman universe. 
I mean, it's, I mean, that's the infinity component, right? Like you have every possibility played out, and and you must continue that, watching until it's over. It's, it's, like, it's what really it's why like it's it is it is finance capitalism because we have created a, a a financial instrument that has a predictable yield and that never ends up going stale. Like this, it's the finance capitalism version of film. Yeah, I mean, stale. Oh my god, I've just realized that the the Lewis slash Endeavor spinoffs from Inspector Morse are just like Avengers: Infinity War, but for your parents. <laughs> Avengers: Infinity Morse. I mean, that will that crossover that crossover now, will happen, film right? I would fucking watch. Uh, but okay, uh, we we totally got distracted in a non timely thing, which yeah. absolutely isn't our kind of thing to do because it's not like we're planning on reviewing a movie from about two thousand four anytime soon. We are. <laughs> anyway, um, we also uh, before we're Dan's here because he's written a book called Inner City Pressure um, to say it's about grime and urban regeneration, uh, grime music, not grime, the um, physical phenomenon or um, Elon Musk girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we are doing so in much foreshadowing. Case, grime actually started in Riley's apartment. <laughs> um, so what we, we are. We are talking about this book, and it's about the both, the way they interrelate, and sort of, I think, the relationship between grime and culture, and high culture, and low culture, and youth culture, and the ways in which these things sort of produce one another, and their relationship with the broader economy as it's experienced by most people. It's a very good book. I suggest you buy it early and often. Um, I buy Amen. It, <laughs> uh, and we'll be putting a, a link to uh, somewhere to buy it in the episode description. Hive, probably. Yeah. That's the woke one. Yeah, you know, let's not, do that not, one. Not Amazon. No, I don't. I don't Along with because, a link to submit me medical advice about my nose. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I was going to say, Milo, if you go for nose surgery in Russia, you'll just wake up with just huge, juicy boobs. <laughs> On my nose? Like, nose oh, boobs? <laughs> just, <laughs> let's have a GoFundMe for Milo's nose in the, in the show description as well, please. Um, okay, so before we get into the good grime, good grime content, I did want to touch on my favorite uh, meltdown, <laughs> which is um, the whole Elon Musk thing is f- just phenomenal. Just so great. So great. I, I mean, speaking of grimes, <laughs> smooth. Well, it's like because it all really started at the Met Ball. This whole thing started because this is this that's, is that's year zero for the meltdown. This right? is year yeah, zero yeah. For, for Elon Musk's meltdown. Which is just it is it's it's a category three. It's continuing. It's going to enter like main phase sequence as it <laughs> begins to go nuclear. It's incredible. Um, so what we're uh, what we're looking at is Elon Musk steps out with Grimes, uh, the recording artist, and now reactionary. Yeah, <laughs> the reactionary pop artist didn't um, take long, did it? <laughs> uh, I mean, look, every rich person is going to be a reactionary at some point. There is no rich person who's not also a reactionary. Yeah, that's. That's a cast iron rule. I'm trying to think of exceptions. I'm struggling. Yeah. Tony Ben. You libel rich people as a concept. <laughs> <laughs> rich people. <laughs> no, they've, they've got the means to sue, certainly, but I'm not. I'm not sure if they. Uh, they don't have we that. Haven't got the script. means to sue. That's libelous. I'll sue you. <laughs> <laughs> rich. Yeah. All rich people have tiny dicks. That's why they get. That's why they get that surgery where you can then pump one up with a Reebok pump in one of your balls. Anyway, so then we digress. Uh, so then people basically yell at yell at sort of Grimes and Elon Musk together being like this guy's a monster who doesn't let his staff unionize which is true like they don't have a union and his justifications for it are basically like no a union would create an oppositional culture in our workplace mm-hmm. i prefer a culture of no opposition yeah i mean he was also threatening wasn't he sort of indirectly to like withdraw benefits and stuff or like implying that he might withdraw be- yeah withdraw no benefits. it's like it's like, like they they all have health care 
Uh, and if they had a loon union, they'd lose their stock options. Yeah. So yeah. because that's a law of nature, right? It's, it's yeah. And also it would crack down on all the madcap workplace fun, like the sort of Laurel and Hardy piano falling on your accidents they tend to have <laughs> in the Tesla factories. <laughs> With like ragtime music playing in the background. So yeah, the um one one major is like if 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 the Tesla factory unionized, then Elon Musk's favorite hobby of painting um black like black hallways onto um bare walls and watching his employees just run right into them would be uh would be definitely not on. And the only reason we don't know these stories in in more detail actually is that he he took them on he took journalists on a press tour around his, around his factory I think around the Tesla factory. And prohi- and like made them all sign non-disclosure agreements, which yeah. is like that's the shittest press trip ever. I've been on some bad ones, <laughs> yeah. but that that we're all journalists you point? found a golden ticket in a. Yeah, in a Tesla. it's basically that. Yeah, <laughs> but like the problem is like when you find the golden ticket to go to the Tesla factory, all of that horrible shit that happens to the Willy Wonka kids all still happens to you. But you can't write yeah. about it. Afterwards. One of them ate a Model Three and became fifty times his size. <laughs> <laughs> one of them. One one of them tried to drink from a river of more. And steel, it was a whole problem. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it became slightly unwell as a result. It became one of the Inspector Morse adventures. He <laughs> was like, look, if we had a union, we wouldn't have this beautiful molten steel waterfall. <laughs> so, so okay, fair, uh, that's pretty dope. I would work in a place that had a molten steel waterfall. So basically, like, yeah, so Elon Musk is like, you know, total reactionary dumbass. Um, but then basically, a lot of the journalists keep pointing this out at him. Uh, so what's incredible, so his reaction, here's the thing, every meltdown before it goes from like phase two to phase three is what makes it phase three is, am I going to take real world action as a result of this meltdown? (laughs) Yeah. That's when it kicks into a new gear altogether. That's, that's like, that's like, no, that's limit break right there. That is like, that is the Sephiroth limit break of meltdowns. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, Milo. Um, so uh, Elon Elon Musk writes, going to create a site where the public can rate the core truth of any article and track the credibility score over time of each journalist, editor, and publication, thinking of calling it Pravda. Oh, yes, Pravda, famously true newspaper. Well, I, I mean, I think he's engaging in some irony because he's a 2012 era Imgur image board guy. <laughs> Like irony he's just, boy, he's posting he, old format memes like the advice dog. Oh, he's um, he's <laughs> just discovered them. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, like, the, the yeah. other, it's like he like he's everyone's like yeah, he loves science, but it's like his degree is in the I fucking love science Facebook page. Like that's all he is. Oh god. Um. So yeah, he. So basically, and this is what I, this is the this is the thing. Remember, um. Like, I can't remember if it was last week, last year, or in the last couple of months, because, like, time just doesn't pass for me anymore. It makes no sense. Um, uh, it was Remember when Donald Trump got really angry at the news and held an award show <laughs> for how bad the news was? And what a success that was. <laughs> that was so, big dick as fuck. <laughs> so Elon Musk, all he's done is the Silicon Valley version of that. Where instead of having like a, a, a soiree where he's inviting all of his favorite like news friends, uh, he's just making a startup about yeah. how much he hates the news. Let's do it with like fuckloads of data instead. Mm. Um, but yeah, not a workable system, I don't think, somehow. Of, and also because, <laughs> because well, it's, the problem is it's based on this like fallacy 
this like weird like this numeracy this numerate fallacy where we think that things involving numbers are inherently sort of less biased and more trustworthy Absolutely. than things involving words yeah. which are famously uh because context is meaningless and all <laughs> words all words are basically just ways to dissemble with your mouth as opposed to numbers which are a way to do facts with a calculator and a pure truth incarnate and so this is that's the thing it's like oh yes the credibility score will add uh will add uh uh uh, uh unbiased objectivity to news and will let us judge the news. But really, it's just Elon Musk is doing the burn book from Mean Girls. It's Elon Musk and Egger come back from the future to save us from fake news. What I will say is that Peter Dow is proposing to team up with him and bring him on board with Barrett. So it's like... It's like Elon Musk and Egger and uh, fucking Peter Dow as Sarah Connor. He's like... Come with me if you want protection from misleading news about union disputes. <laughs> well, it's the that's just the thing, right? It's like he's a. It's the. I mean, what I love about Peter Dow's reaction, um, boy, about to Dow it. You know, about to Dow it to him. Is is that like he's not offering to turn over Verit to Elon Musk? He's not offering to go into a partnership with Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. In fact, Peter Dow's tweet is kind of almost threatening. Because it's like, I came up with this idea first, so why don't you just fund Varen? <laughs> Get on board, or speak to my lawyer. I really want Peter Dow to sue Elon Musk. Oh, that would be because, such a cool case. Because Peter Dow is just enough of like a rodent-like psychopath that he would... De- like. That he would just fucking go at it and he would just nibble away at Elon Musk's sanity by mm. filing increasingly unrealistic lawsuits. Two lib dipshits suing each other over a failed business idea would be the most 2018 thing ever. <laughs> that would be so good. This is my festering crock of shit. I'm the one who invented it. <laughs> what I like, and this is where you can tell how science Elon is is he, he does a Twitter poll, create a media credibility rating site that also flags propaganda botnets. Option one, and this, this, is, this is scientific polling. Yes, this would be good. Option two, no, the media are awesome. <laughs> and he got really excited because the, the number for the like media awesome thing kept dropping after the media were right covering it, I think. But dude, that doesn't prove anything. Like, uh, Option I three, I get all my news from podcasts. <laughs> 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 and then just to just to to talk, I mean he okay a he did already file the paperwork to establish this company a while ago but I still love that he got so not mad that he started a company about how not mad he was the effort the levels of effort are just <laughs> completely normal yeah um and uh and and finally he gets invited by Kara Swisher to do an interview about this uh, Kara Swisher journalist I think with the L A some so with someone right. Um, and I don't know if he proofreads his tweets, but uh, he says, "Ah, oh, sorry, I can't right now. I'm cranking really hard at the office. <laughs> oh. I'm oh, so yeah. mad at the news! <laughs> the <laughs> oh. <laughs> God, I'm, I'm no, no wonder he, no wonder he made the journalist sign. steel waterfall. <laughs> The scenes behind, uh, yeah. This is be why it. this is why all these people need to do more cocaine because then instead of doing this, him and Peter Dow would just be opening like a really ill-advised fusion restaurant together. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be it would be called um, Tesla for her. It would have the Hil- the Hillary campaign sign. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's, <laughs> a, it's Italian Japanese fusion cooking. It's deep fried pizza. <laughs> And, and the Scottish are like, we will fucking sue you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I personally can't wait to try the still with her gnocchi. 
Oy. I think I saw someone on a dating site the other day who said that they'd they'd come up with an idea for an something called Italian Italian, which was a like Italian Thai fusion restaurant and involved like summer rolls with with like pizza in and stuff like that. But yeah, that, also, that's... isn't I Thai like an old time racist term for Ooh, Italians? Yeah. Anyway, so um, I'm just I'm just so happy <laughs> to be able to watch all of this happening. What do you think the next phase is, man? Like, wh- where, where does he go from here? Well, implosion of the venture, obviously. Okay. Before it's actually launched or not? Okay. Here's, okay, look. Here's What's the thing? trajectory. We Th- should be able to project this using science, well, right? Like, yeah, of course. It's on okay. the graph. Let's think of this. Um, Let's ask Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers actually are things you count. Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> uh, mel- uh, actually, to call this a main phase sequence meltdown is incorrect because that refers to stars and stars is only is only a metaphor for referring to famous people. They're not actually stars, guys. Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> I get all my science information from that guy from the Muppets. <laughs> Beaker? No, not Beaker. Yeah, Beaker's it. boss. Yeah, Beaker and the other one. There's like, there's like a su- me, 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 Beaker's me. the assistant, isn't he? So does that make Beaker Grimes? No, Peter Dow. Yeah, Peter, yeah, Peter Dow. <laughs> Peter but like Dow if, and Beaker cooking we, up some truth in their lab. If we want to be scientific about it, then we can think of we can think of two comparator cases. Mm-hmm. We can th- of sort of having a meltdown at the news and how that goes. Yeah. One is Trump's fake news party and the other is Verit. Yeah. In both cases, there was a meltdown. There was the nor- normal levels of just having a regular day online. Just having <laughs> like a, a normal re- just having a normal day and cranking it hard in your office <laughs> because um, journalists keep exposing your um, unfair labor practices. Um, and, and you're just and, and you want to be, take humanity to the moon or more specifically, you want to take 10 billionaires to the moon where <laughs> they can like harvest your organs forever. So there's that. There's stage one. Yeah. Then stage two is when you start when you start tweeting angrily, angrily subtweeting entire industries. Stage <laughs> three is when you turn that into a real life venture. Uh-huh. So the fake news awards, Verit or Pravda. <laughs> um, then stage four is when you humiliatingly walk back your venture because it was a boneheaded idea from the start that yep. was never going to work that you did out of resentment. Oh, I'm so hyped for stage four. It's going to be great. And we've got the bank holiday weekend to enjoy it as I well. Mean, stage oh. four is when you launch your fact-checking venture to Mars. We're going to fact-check Mars. Is Mars true? We are going <laughs> to find out. <laughs> can I can I ask can I fact check what what kind of name is Elon? This is something I've it's bothered South me African. from day one. Is it an, is it a regular South African name uh, or is it like a sci-fi name that he's No, he's from Warhammer. To... Oh, okay. <laughs> he's a games workshop guy. I'm, I'm glad I understand. He just he wants to now. be the, he wants to be the emperor. Okay. But right. um what just Verit shut down humiliatingly because it was dunked on in public constantly. Mm-hmm. And then um the very fake news awards instead of being an award, we're just a blog post. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait. I can't wait for uh, Pravda to... Well, it's two things. Um, number one, someone actually has registered the Pravda.news domain name before Elon could, and now that just links to articles about Tesla's factory's terrible safety records. Excellent work. <laughs> uh, and then, um, I think it's just going to be a SoundCloud rap. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's time for that. 
or like or maybe Tumblr rap, which is sort of worse and weirder. And you know. <laughs> can imagine him delivering that though over some sort of like spaced out beats. You know, oh yeah, I I for one can't wait for Elon Musk to turn his resentment into SoundCloud rap. <laughs> For him oh, to call, yes. For him to like get a bunch of face tattoos and collaborate with Six Nine yes. on a song like Media Got Doo Doo Ass, and he's got Grimes, of course, to like to join him on the hook or something. Oh shit! Okay, it's itself, man. Like- Perfect. Uh, I think uh, that uh, is actually a good transition into segment two, segment uh-huh. the dose, the slightly more <laughs> slightly more serious segment. Fluid. So. In addition to having a bunch of really hard opinions on on, on meltdown sequence, mm-hmm. Rock Elon hard Mu- opinions. Elon Musk initiate meltdown sequence. Um, Dan My is also are standing at forty five degrees. <laughs> Dan Dan is also here to talk to us about his book Inner City Pressure: The Story of Grime. But like I said, it's the story of actually quite a bit more. It is um, it's the London around it. It's New Labour. It's Tower Blocks, Asbos, all this kind of stuff. Oh yeah. And we're gonna fucking we're gonna fucking get into it. Yeah, serious um, Asbo territory. So, <laughs> real Asbo hours. <laughs> Winders, who remembers those? Stay tuned. <laughs> so we've talked about grime before with Ash Sarkar. Uh, so if you want a more general introduction to like the concept of grime and its relationship with politics more generally, and sort of and that, I would suggest you go listen to our episode. What do you call it? Uh, with Ash that we recorded a couple of months ago, um, because we're going to be talking quite a bit more about sort of the relationship between sort of the way in which these grime and its concerns and styles were kind of molded by history and the way in which it's interacted with the British establishment, both in generally and as a metaphor for the like black working class urban experience in London. Nailed it. That's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as though we've done the first planned show of this show's entire history. Uh, <laughs> do not get your hopes up. It is a very loose plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Riley expended all his energy on getting the intro right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for just for a brief, a brief reminder um, to listeners who may have heard the other episode, but want a reminder anyway, can you quickly just tell us what is grime and how is it not rap? It's not rap. That's absolutely right. Because rap is rap. And there is such a thing as UK rap. And this isn't it. Um, It involves beats and rhymes. And so there's, you know, it has that in common with rap, but it comes out of a completely different tradition. So the kind of reggae history that um, of the black diaspora in the UK that evolved in its own way in the UK, very different from Jamaican music, um, uh, Jamaican reggae rather. So fast chat reggae in the 1980s um, was its own like, UK creation, um, jungle and UK garage are uniquely British sounds, really uniquely London to, for the most part as well, just like grime and grime emerges out of that tradition. It's dance, it's club music. I'm sure hip hop rap is club music as well, but it's faster. It's mm-hmm. 140 beats per minute, which I'm, we're not going to count them all out no. now, but that's quite <laughs> fast. Like it's not <laughs> as fast as drum and bass but it is much faster than regular rap music. It's even much faster than like house music. Yeah, yeah, it, it exactly. Is, it is very driving, intense music. It's not uh-huh. necessarily, I mean, that's not saying it's not music you can't relax to, but it is music that's meant for the rave. It's meant for dancing. 100%. I mean, I've had, I mean, I'm- like Smash Mouth. 
<laughs> Absolutely. There have been some cracking collaborations over the years with, uh, with, with, with Smash Mouth. Oh, my God. Um, that, is, that is something I would fucking listen to right there. <laughs> uh, and also, so what, and, is you, and you've been kind of on the grime beat for quite a while. Yeah, wow, that's I like that metaphor. Like I've been on the grime beat. I mean, I haven't been writing to the beat. That would be a bit a bit weird. But yes, I've been. Uh, you're, I've been. You're a cop of the grime scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I, I've been on the journalistic beat following grime. That's certainly true. I mean, I grew up in London. Um, I you know heard this music around me and the stuff that fed into it. Ga- sort of garage and and drum and bass and and jungle. Growing up in South London. Um, and you know, I played basketball with Neutrino from So Solid Crew at school. He was in the year below me. He was. I've been I've been oh, listening to yeah. Bound for the Reload show so many <laughs> times really since I've read this book. <laughs> Amazing. I, well, he was I just recently like, tried to explain So Solid Crew to a Russian, and it took me like thirty five minutes. And by the end, they were like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> <laughs> they waited till you'd finished, though. I like that. They waited a whole twenty one seconds. <laughs> yeah, you should have done it in 21 seconds, really. They're, they're impatient people, the Russians, but you don't need me to tell you that. Uh, uh, sorry, FSB, if you're listening. I've been covering Grime as a, as a blogger initially, unpaid, and uh, out of pure joy, like joyous enthusiasm for the music. And then, uh, and then gradually, like as my 20s progressed, I mentioned now I'm 36, uh, the same people that I'd been writing about when they were sort of underground grassroots like MCs performing on pirate radio were increasingly getting covered by the mainstream press, partly because people like me and not many other people, to be honest, a couple of other music journalists I know were trying to push this on generally white, middle-class, middle-aged music editors. For clarity, I'm white, middle-class myself, but I'm not middle-aged at least, so I've got (laughs) that going for me in terms of credibility. Trust me, it's at least as good as Smash Mouth. Give it a try. (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't we have you making the case, Milo? (laughs) I'm just picturing you like the guy from Back to the Future, like, hey. Hey, it's me, your cousin, uh, Marvin Skepta. <laughs> you know that new sound you've been looking for? Well, check out this. I'm not, I'm not about to stop beatboxing. Can everyone here. stop getting shot? Um, so then that's, that's kind of, that. I guess, something I, I sort of want to jump on, really, is that this is a... And so you know, like, grime artists like Wiley and, and Skepta and Jamie mm-hmm. and all these guys. Uh, a lot of them have their roots in... Um, in both the garage scene and then also the pirate radio scene because they weren't allowed in the garage clubs. That's right. Yeah. So it's like, there's like a generational thing that goes on at the start of the two thousands where garage effectively kind of splits in two. And the guys that go on to create and grime this at the time, completely unnamed um, sort of weird renegade, like ferociously fast hybrid genre um, have been shut out of the raves because they're, they, you know, they can't afford the champagne. Like they're, you know, it's it's a shirt and shoes thing. Like dress codes in in London clubs, uh, UK clubs generally are not like not a consistent presence. Mm. But but in the Fly garage Riley clubs, never that- attends clubs. <laughs> I never take off my track pants. It's true. So, yeah, so they'd be like, you know, you'd be you'd be able to get into a grime club, but not a, but not a UK garage one uh, in the early two thousands because they would it would be no hats, no hoods. You know, no, no, I don't know if they specified no tracksuit bottoms, but, uh, but that would be implicit probably mm-hmm. like shoes, shirt. Um, it was aspirational. Imagine kind wearing of- shoes and a shirt and tracksuit bottoms. That would be such a look. <laughs> <laughs> Getting into the technicality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, that, that would actually work. I think you'd be, you'd be mm-hmm. fine. You'd look fucking weird, but, so, um, so it's this, it's 
they're making kind of similar style of music, but it grows out of its own thing because they're shut out of this other scene. Effectively, so yeah, that's it. and that's you know what everyone from Lethal Bizzle to to Wiley uh, have said. Like you know the slightly. They, they were like 19, 20 years old. People like Dizzy are like 16. Someone like Tinchy Strider, now a multi-millionaire. Like, he'd be like four. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was like, yeah, four years old and, and still spitting some absolute fire bars in the club. But, <laughs> but yeah, he wasn't allowed. I mean, he would be underage and like have to get smuggled in mm-hmm. to, to even to the grime raves because he, the bouncers just would be like, who's this child? No, no, he's <laughs> he not coming in. He used to do in. the raves in the basement of a pizza restaurant. <laughs> 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 with a soft play area oh <laughs> lovely so um, so yeah so we have this so then we get this outgrowth to pirate radio yeah. and this is where i think i also want to bring in the relationship to space because a lot of these guys know each other from living in the same tower blocks in east london which at this time is a where they're setting up their pirate radio stations but b is rapidly changing in a way that's not necessarily good for them that's right. It's already, I mean, you know, East London, as anyone who's ever set foot in it will know, it changes incredibly fast, has done over the last decade. But even in the early 2000s, when grime is emerging, you've got this, uh, this sense that like some of the old, like 1970s, mostly 60s, 70s, 80s tower blocks are crumbling because they've been, you know, they've been completely underfunded and they've been left to rot. Um, part of the upside of this culturally is that, that it's quite easy to sort of break into to them, you know, whether you're living there or not, to climb up to the rooftop and set up pirate radio antennae. Uh, now, you know, pirate radio's got a long history in, in, in London and indeed on actual boats. That's why it's, they're called pirates. Um, going back to the 60s when they were out Hi. in the North Sea. <laughs> um, and they've always been like a crucible of like, outsider culture mm-hmm. um and they've always eventually influenced the actual mainstream in the 60s it was ships at sea playing rock music the bbc didn't want you to yeah. hear and then all of those people who grew up on the pirate radio from the rock music the bbc didn't want you to hear then became the bbc absolutely it's and this they- degenerate rock music <laughs> it's making the women go in heat <laughs> there was no radio one radio one was literally set up you know back bear in mind like it's not the case so much anymore, but it was actually pretty important as a like, you know, the as the kind of hub for like youth culture and music in this country for a long time until the internet ruined everything for them. Uh, but they, yeah, they like Radio One was set up specifically because of stations like Radio Caroline, which was on a boat in the North Sea. That I mean, those were exciting times. They were actually like firebombed by rival rival boats, and like the navy had to come in and stuff. So. Yeah, always involves like deeds of daring do and like mm. adventure and stuff. And and same same's true with Grime and its pirate radio era in the early two thousands when you'd have people like Slimzy and Genius who set up Rinse FM climbing up in like in disguise as well. They would wear like they would they would dress up a, like they would carry a mop and dress up in overalls in order to sort of not look suspicious, which is what I do when I want to look, not look suspicious as well. So I I remember these pirate radio stations from my childhood because I grew up in Essex, which, if you're not familiar with it, is a is a terrible place. Uh, but one <laughs> thing it does have is a lot of like wannabe roadman culture. And I remember my mm-hmm. sister having a boyfriend who, in his car, would always have on this radio station called Sub Jam, um, 
which is one of those really stereotypical pirate radio stations and there was no delineation between the songs or between when the DJ was talking. There would just be like <laughs> continuously some kind of jungle or garage playing and he would just <laughs> shout something over the top of it. <laughs> yeah, why use the fader? Just just shout, just shout. I mean, it's <laughs> something you might want to consider for the podcast, like incredibly loud, ferocious dance music playing in the background while we're talking. <laughs> also, the man, Elon. there is the one thing Shouts I, I think... Crew. One thing I think is important uh, in your book as a concept is the concept of pressure, which is that both geographically and legally, sort of these the the sort of the grime artists who are setting up the pirate radio stations to kind of try and broadcast the music they've been shut out of this sort of standard cultural mm-hmm. outlet for the garage clubs doing it themselves. But then we're also we're losing we're we're sort of we're very quickly finding it, it sort of intensely and harshly criminalized in a lot of different ways. Um, and we'll, we'll sort of get to this, but also there's a, an anecdote about Broadway Market, which is a, oh, yeah. a street very near and dear to my heart and location. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can see it almost yeah. from here. Um, uh, which is, is, is somewhat emblematic of East London's transformation. And it's not, and I don't say transformation in terms of it was bad and it transformed into something good. It's that it was something where people could live and it's transformed into something that basically just caters to the whims of young professionals. Yeah, and really, really quite wealthy young professionals as well. Like, no, it's not, uh, but you know, I'm not here to like slag off Broadway market, but it is emblematic. And this this anecdote is from a James Meek piece uh, after the London riots, also a critical part of like Grimes history. You know, it was, wasn't, they weren't grime riots, but like the, these were the people who explained the frustrations, the anger, um, and the sort of, you know, uh, both structural and actual like, oppression they were they were receiving from the police and the state um and it's shortly after the riots james meek is having like an expensive lunch or whatever with a journalist friend of his uh and like out of nowhere these kind of kids suddenly emerge there are two groups a shot is fired it's like a sunny afternoon and and uh and it kind of it they then disappeared again and nobody at the posh kind of cafes even really looked up and noticed that they were there. And it's this idea that actually China Mayville kind of embodies in, in the city in the city is novel as well. The idea that you have these two kind of cities living in amongst themselves, that it's not like the North. I make, I make this point that like some cities around the world are divided in terms of their inequalities between North and South, uptown and downtown, things like that. In London, you really have the most finely like meshed, kind of together inequalities of rich and poor and they rarely interact and it's a really fucking weird thing about this city and and as the city is increasingly through policy through yeah. policy uh starting with thatcher and going through new labor mm. and continuing to the present day uh those pockets where sort of working class or poorer people can live are being squeezed smaller and smaller yeah. and criminalized more and more um so um there is you get a I mean, look, there are so many ways we go from this. Like we, I think there's this combination of, I think, especially the respect agenda, mm-hmm. the little dickest piece of policy <laughs> ever contrived, um, and which That's is basically, well. which is basically like legal. It's like, you know, all that shit where like white people have just been calling the police on black people for like existing yeah. in public. It's basically a series of le- a, a, a set of legislation. That's mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's, it, ways, it's like let, it's, let us let us save you the trouble of calling. Basically, like yeah. you know, we'll just do it for you. Um, and that that involved, yeah, like the policing of people's behavior down to, I mean, because that's what antisocial behavior order ASBOs so, actually are. It, like, so ASBO was a a a, a sort of a, a criminal justice outcome, sort of an yeah. interaction with the police, criminal justice outcome yeah. that you could get from engaging in certain almost like 
subjectively defined behaviors. Yeah. Listeners are Americans. They won't know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, that's, that's well yeah, that's explained. That's weird, actually, how like dominant a fucking cultural phenomenon the ASBO was for so long, and then they got rid of them, and everyone forgot about it. But that was yeah. like that was like it even became part of the vernacular. Like, oh yeah, getting an ASBO. Absolutely. Or ASBO kids. I mean, you know, I was talking to someone about uh, Owen Jones Chav's book yesterday, and and one thing we forget from that, like the first decade of the two thousands in this country, is that you ha- alongside the kind of demonization of, of working class young people usually as chavs you also had like this slightly more like racialized version in with of hoodies and asbo kids probably fairly gen uh, sorry racially neutral like that that it doesn't matter as long as you're working class you can be written off as an asbo kid as a feral feral youth was another phrase that was very like commonly used in the media but this would uh, criminalize to- activities like hanging out yeah, on a corner or wearing completely. the wrong clothes or in, and, and they can impose random penalties on you for it. It's, so I recall there was one instance in your book where I can't remember who gets this ASBO, but then they're forbidden from, as a result of the ASBO, they're saying, okay, well, you're forbidden from going above the third floor of a tower block yeah. now. This was this is the legendary grime DJ and the founder of one of the founders of the fourth floor where it gets nasty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you start to get a nosebleed if you go up that high, right? <laughs> this poor That's guy. when you set up a pirate radio station to fact check regular radio station. <laughs> this was uh... actually FM. <laughs> 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 sorry, sorry, totally sorry. lock in, lock in. Um, yeah it's this guy Slimzy who's like a legendary figure in grime the kind of you know one of the, the founding fathers essentially of this genre um, but he was the guy who was like dressing up as a you know as a as a kind of cleaner or whatever to break into the the, ra- the tower blocks and, and set up pirate stations and, I, and you know I, I say legendary like this genre wouldn't exist without these kind of people who made these sacrifices and yeah, he got an ASBO prohibiting him from going from going above it. And you know, his he, I think his grand lived on like the fifth floor of a tower block, so he basically had to, he was at risk of you know you could be sent to jail if you breached your ASBO as well. Some of them, some of the ASBOs that were doled out in during this new labor period are just absurd. There was a guy, there was a shepherd who was in this is not London, but a shepherd in Wales. Yeah, I was going to say there hasn't been a shepherd in London for a while. <laughs> a shepherd That's in Wales. You can't shepherd on the fifth floor of this tower block. <laughs> Stop your shepherding. God damn it. Yeah, he was prohibited from uh, herding his flock in a threatening manner. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, you've got to make the punishment fit the crime. And in this case, I don't know what the fuck the crime was, the but thing. it was really weird. Although it's the, the crime to be is threatened by sheep for five days straight. The, the crime <laughs> is being challenging to kind of count. The crime is the crime is being challenging to culture. The crime yeah. is existing outside the structures of capital. Mm-hmm. That's basically the crime and they can't criminalize it. So they just criminalize. Yep. They allow a broad interpretation that they can just criminalize whatever they feel like. I mean, it's so dodgy. Let's create a whole world of really flexible. Because like the law is always best when it's super flexible and oh, yeah. like at the whims of a judge, right? I mean, mm. or like or a, a police local officer, cop, you yeah. know, yeah. exactly. So they they would they reminded people penalize people for like the most specific things, and it would usually be like young young working class people in cities were the ones who I think got this shit the most. And they also there was a series of like public space related like legislation that was part of this as well. So dispersal orders and curfews, even like it seems obscene and absurd, but like there were. Curfews are something that, like, without oversight by like local elected officials, um, could be imposed 
by a local magistrate with cooperation from the local so police it's, force. So it's no surprise that, that, that grime is seen as a sort of intimidatingly angry style of music mm-hmm. because these people had a lot to be angry about. It's being persecuted relentlessly, yeah. effectively. Yeah, I mean, even like down to, I mentioned hoodies before people as a sort of a name for like the kids who've got their sweatshirt hoods up. But, um, but they, they were very specifically targeted as well. They were banned, the, these hooded sweatshirts. <laughs> There's a lot of policing of clothing going on during this period, right? Like, you know, Paul well, it's, Riley it's, with your tracksuit bottoms, and you, you're not allowed to wear your hoodie either. The literal fashion police. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh-huh. exactly. No, yeah. You, you, will, I, 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 you will never take my Supreme hoodie from me. <laughs> I suffer and die for that thing. But I recently so saw that I... They won't let you in the club in your hooded sweatshirt. They won't let you herd your sheep through the streets of London. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really pissed. Country? So one thing, it's, it's obvious why this style of music is so angry mm-hmm. because they have a lot to be angry about mm-hmm. because every element of their behavior is criminalized because, and it's, it's sort of notionally, notionally fair-minded because it's like, well, if you put on a suit and go to a job in the city, you won't be breaking any laws. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's, it's this weird thing where so much like reactionary, allegedly liberal legislation mm. um, is, is sort of just either enacted sort of either maliciously or ignorantly sort of assuming that history never happened and power doesn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. With, with no understanding or analysis, but that's liberals for you, right? I mean, yeah. it, you know, there's, there's no... History was just building railways, guys. <laughs> and we just arrived sort of at the present with, ri- yeah. with, with no bumps in the road. It's like, like, the entire, to find it's, a bunch of Indians scratching their heads going, we just don't know how to put these railways together. And we were like, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's the it's like it's like this kind of legislation has it assumes that the entire culture has memento disease where mm. everyone is just a sort of gawping moron that sort mm. of is just thrown into their circumstances by sort of you know on the on the basis of just you know um hustle and yeah. then there you go that's that's it so uh everybody should just get a job at a bank and we all go to the same bank we'll all leave the same bank and all go back to our house that's in the same area. Yeah. Especially there will there will be no diversity that could ever be even be classed as dissent. It's mm-hmm. just this is it's completely shut off. And so I think it's important and this is something that sort of came up on our last episode because when we were talking to Ash, this was a lot of like grime for Corbin was kind mm-hmm. of really it hadn't it wasn't just kicking off, but it was really being talked about a lot. Yeah. Um and everyone's like, oh my God, how is Grimes? So, Grimes suddenly got political. It's like, no, it didn't. Yeah. It has been this political literally the whole time because it is. It's formed out of a political, you know, deeply political kind of context, as everything is, sure. But like, but you know, the, it, it, that anger comes from a certain place and it comes from growing up in like some of the, the, the poverty in the boroughs of East London that actually significantly went on to become the Olympic boroughs when London <sighs> had got the Olympics in 2012 are oh, side by. Side by side with Canary Wharf, which is just, you know, the perfect example of, uh, you know, neoliberal capitalism. I think Owen Hatherley quotes... Mm. It's uh, private too. Yeah, completely. Private space. So like, the, you know, I've interviewed mo- all of these grime MCs who grew up in Bow and, and Poplar in East London, r- literally like a five minute walk away from Canary Wharf, which is privately owned pseudo public space pops uh, as it's sometimes known yeah. and they're like yeah that felt like the tinchy strider literally said to me that felt like somewhere we weren't supposed to be and they made us they made us know that there's also like just in terms of because i love a bit of urban design like it's almost impossible to traverse from like the the very short distance to live around there actually yeah, right so you've you've seen like there are there's like an a massive a road possibly two a roads actually there's two there's like an elevated sidings and like there's an elevated there is the elevated a road then yeah. there is um 
uh, not Horse Ferry Road, but then there is, an, I think it is Horse Ferry Road, actually. Yeah, yeah, it is. And yeah. it's sort of, there is a whole slice of London that you cannot approach. Uh, like, for example, if you want to ride your bike from where I used to live on Cable Street yeah. to where my, my gym was, um, yeah. just by, um, at the sort of northern end of Canary Wharf, yeah. you had to ride briefly on the pavement. Yeah. There was no way to ride your bike there without a brief illegal pavement detour. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like this is how much they wanted to just create like a fucking safe wall. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it's, you know, and that's a nice little metaphor for like, you know, the, the yeah, walling off in cities is, is something that we've seen coming back a lot more with gated communities. Less so in London, though there are gated, like significantly, like gated communities, including in East London. Actually, well, it's, it's a lot of the and gating roads. As a lot well, of the like, gating is implied, right? Like yeah, through yeah, yeah. through one way systems, lacks of crossings, large uh-huh. A roads, like we've been talking exactly. about bollards. Yeah, yeah. Um, or even just the fact is, like Canary Wharf, like you can walk onto Canary Wharf, you know, mm-hmm. basically like wearing whatever you want but if you're wearing the wrong thing you may be sort of followed by canary wharf private security who look very similar to police but actually aren't yeah and they can ask and they can ask anyone they want to leave without you having committed any offense or even looking like you're going to commit an offense just because they don't like the look of you they're allowed to do that that's what private space is basically and there's more and more of these across london um as, as there are in a lot of like western cities so like uh there's somewhere called more london um just on the south bank near uh near tower bridge which is this really unpleasant and creepy kind of it all looks like spaceships yeah 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 absolutely and it's outside the gla building in in fact as well um as an aside like i went i went to a kind of attempt to reclaim this private space some years ago where the uh, uh, london assembly member elected politician explained that for the first 10 years that the gla building was there they weren't allowed to do interviews with the media outside the building because they had banned like private photography and you know if itv or the bbc come down that's private photography and and make you know and it's yeah so they had to walk like 10 minutes down the road (laughs) so you get this really intense geographic pressure and intense legal pressure Mm -hmm. um because the other the other the other thing i sort of want to mention about geographic pressure is this sort of is the other hack because this is the the more sinister phase of gentrification Mm -hmm. then there is the happy asinine phase of gentrification (laughs) which is like like I was at Pop Brixton yesterday, which is like yeah. just the most the most asinine place I've ever even heard of. Yeah, Getting shipping containers of a bull pit. <laughs> Fuck you, Milo. Um, <laughs> and it's and that's just the thing. This is this it, this was presumably somewhere where people either used to be able to live or congregate or just mm-hmm. live their lives, and now it has been turned into a place that basically is is just exists to sort of do the experience economy. For you know, bored young professionals yeah. who think that you know going to you know get a taco in the rain is why they spend so much money <laughs> from, to live in London because from you a can't shipping container because, literally from a shipping because container. you can't do that in Grantham. Yeah, yeah. yeah come absolutely. on, mate, you've got a pre-game Inferno's Clapham somewhere. <sighs> <laughs> but that, like Pop Brixton is an example. Like it's somewhere that was created as a destination to make Brixton a destination, like an ephemeral place uh, for a night out to help draw uh, the kind of middle-class young professionals that I, I, the you know, local kind of planners and local council want to draw into a place like Brixton, which you know, has this history as like a really like, rich like, working-class multicultural community or the black community particularly mm-hmm. have like, defined its sort of atmosphere for, and, 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 you know, and struggled against exactly the kind of institutional and direct kind of racism uh, from the police and, and others uh, for a long time, but have forged a strong community and now being forced out. I mean, gentrification mm-hmm. ultimately 
is about displacement. It's about it's about moving poorer people out mm. so that so that the opportunities for for middle class and upper class people increase. Yeah, it's they're they're being they're being they're being like you know for but not in some cases forcibly because you know they'll their tower blocks be torn down and mm. then yeah allegedly they're yeah oh yes you of course you have the right of return to this tower block but. Mm. Actually, we're going to rehouse you in uh, uh, Newcastle for three years. Yeah. So yeah. I hope you didn't have any family here. Yeah. And then they, and then people don't come back. You know. And it's, yeah. They the job is done. Like, oh, what a what a shame! <laughs> Looks like we don't have to build any affordable housing. Um. And so I think moving, moving, move, but then that's the happy face of gentrification. And then it's just fun. It's just yeah. Fun, it's just right? mindless fun. <laughs> this is why I hate mindless fun. Yeah. I, um. I'm- I mean, mindful fun is is not much better. (laughs) (laughs) Meditating in a ball pit. (laughs) So going back, I think specifically uh, to Grime a little bit, um, I think we can sort of, in terms of the Grime's Grime's cultural relationship with sort of mainstream British culture, if you like, um, I, I almost want to sort of, we we can start as we have the underground phase, Mm. where it's all pirate radio. Then in 2003, Dizzy gets the Mercury for Boy in the Corner. Yeah. And then we think, oh, is it about to be successful? Mm-hmm. And there is a little bit of a, th- of a thing where maybe it's going to bubble up. Maybe it's, it's going to bubble up. A gold rush, like but a it, gold trickle. It's so hard to get radio play for such idiosyncratic, frustrated mm-hmm. music. Yeah. It's not meant for radio play. It's not meant for consumption. It's not easily marketable. Yeah. And so despite Wiley's sort of best efforts of getting people studio time, mm-hmm. Of, of trying to promote lots of other artists, there is this sort of moment that kind of doesn't go anywhere. And then everyone's yeah. trying to declare grime dead. Yeah. But one of the main reasons I think a lot of grime isn't going anywhere is that this is music for the club. And mm. then there's the invention of a little something called Form 696. I'll explain what that is. That's a, so this is a piece of police bureaucracy that it, it sounds like tedious and innocuous and like because it should because, because it this should. is supposed to bore you into submission exactly it's suffocating it's like, and and it's uh you know there's there's no better way to smother a sort of a spontaneous and grassroots kind of cultural moment than with with fucking paperwork basically which is exactly what they do so they they, they force um they force like club owners and promoters to fill in extraordinarily like detailed bits of inf- like information about every single performer they ask explicitly race, racially profiling questions like what um, you know what's the main ethnic group that's going to be attending your party and they crucially they only issue these uh, like lengthy bits of paperwork to to like black music nights they're quite clear about that grime like reggae r and b hip hop because the, ima- the 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 imagination is that because grime often contains some violent lyrics that it creates violence. Yeah. I it's, mean, it's like Tipper Gore traveled from the late 1980s <laughs> and like agent smithed into the body of, oh, um, horrifying of that police commissioner. <laughs> like yeah. All those video games we hear about in the media. <laughs> and oh. so it's, you get this, this idea that, Oh, well it's violent. So we have to police it. And then you just like, like you say, you suffocate it with paperwork or it's nonlinear warfare as I think yeah. one of the, one of the terms <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen, I've seen used. I think it was Joe Kennedy. Came yeah, up that sounds with that right. One. That sounds right. Um, and then uh, but this basically yeah. snuffs out grime as a club music, which, as Lethal Bizzle said to me, like really quite sadly, with a great deal of sadness in 2011, um, you know, and this is like after the student protests when grime has erupted into like Parliament Square. They're playing Pow, his like ferocious, track, incredible track, like as they try and storm the Treasury. These kids have like, like got metal battering rams and basically trying to storm the Treasury. 
uh, while people play POW and like rave in the background. It was, it was a fucking great night, I must say. Anyway, uh, it's the so opposite I, of the respect agenda. It is. Exactly. Is, this is a no yeah. fucking respect agenda. <laughs> Fuck yeah. An extremely Tra- large dick incident. Tra- Trash Future officially supports the no respect agenda. <laughs> and anyway, so yeah. I, sit, I sit down with Lethal Bizzle a week or so later, you know, show him the videos from that night of like all these kids, but and he's like, man, this is, this is what like grime was about like this this energy i like he was like hairs standing up on the back of my neck i feel so proud but you know what this used to be fucking club music we used to party like this together and it just became something that you listen to in your house on your ipod on your headphones alone and that's that's not what grime is about it's like being together in the club and fucking partying and we were stopped from doing that and it changed the the, the way the music sounded as well it made it more like hip-hop a bit slower a bit more like reliant on samples and and kind of uh and just, you know, lost that kind of dynam- dynamism. The real grime was actually the friends we made along the way. <laughs> That's exactly so right. The, um, one, so before the student protest, another interesting thing to point out is that one of the things that sort of keeps grime moving along in an almost zombie state for a mm. while is guys is like um, Dizzy doing bonkers and Wiley doing yeah. wearing my Rolex and sort of almost taking this because grime could kind of, it sort of stayed alive in two ways. Mm. By transforming into hip hop you listen to by yourself, mm. or by transforming into just 128 beats per music, beats per minute, rappy house music, more mm-hmm. or less. IB3 music. Yeah. I think of like, it's got kind of electro synths and stuff like that. And it's, the lyrics are not sp- sort of spat 100 miles an hour anymore. It's just like, yeah, I mean, girls, the party, whatever, where swimming are my ro- pool, something. Where, where are my Rolex yeah. bangs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so oh, sorry. No, no, where are my Rolex tune. bangs? A lot, of these, a lot of these are kind of really cool pop tunes. I'm, you know, I'm very pro pop. Um, it's just like they were forced to make it because that was the only way they were going to be able to make a living out of their years and years of like tireless innovation and creativity was like, Oh, do you know what? Fuck it. We have to, we have got to do a pool party tune. I, I, Yo, I'm humming you know, where I'm Rolex right now. Though. DJ, when he's thinking about playing your song faces a dilemma, he could play your new grind track, but he could also be playing Natalie and Brulia's classic track torn. And you've got to justify <laughs> that decision. Um, so I think what, what, what's interesting about form six, nine, six is that it kills what grime is supposed to be mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. And, then interesting, what what a figure of a figure who's now no longer who is now basically podcast lore. Um, <laughs> Matt Hancock, friend of the I show, the law. plays an interesting role in sort of. No, look, I, it's very difficult to say what made Grime return because sort of around sort of 2010, all these cuts were were, were expanding beyond just the very poorest mm. and were starting to hurt more people who felt that pressure, who felt that anger and who were, had that energy that like actually react well to like a song like pow. And then you get riots of course and, as well <laughs> the and, next year. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the same time, um, you also have um, a kind of, a loosening of the restrictions that are um, that are afforded to it. Milo, stop chewing. Um, we can, it's really wow. loud. <laughs> Embracing the no respect to gender. <laughs> <laughs> well, now Nate has to keep that in. Um, oh yeah. Uh, it's the, the chew. So we lose, but it's, so Matt Hancock actually plays a role in the return of grime. Yeah, sort I mean, of a, a, a kind of fairly important one and i you know i resent that a fair amount but, but no i'm also i'm also i'm glad he did Your it most like, unlikely savior yeah exactly out of retirement for one last job 
I mean, he's you know he's young, he's hip. Matt Hancock, he's the he's the Tory everybody loves. No, he's the not. he's the king of social media. <laughs> he um, inch by inch. into those hot bitches DMs on the app. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Hancock MP, yo, I'm a pretty big deal on this app. <laughs> um, he's like the Zuckerberg of that app. He's friends with everyone. Oh boy, he um, MySpace Tom. <laughs> I can see him in the white t-shirt. Yeah. He's, oh God. He's Matt Hancock, Matt Hancock. Looking <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, coquettishly slightly so over his left shoulder. What like, did hey what did Matt Hancock MP do um to actually facilitate the return of Grime as a cultural force? Uh he I mean the short version of the, that story is that he scrapped Form 696. Or he, so like he had an, a, a special advisor called Jonathan Batial who now works for Universal Music and was just like an unusually cool guy to be working for a Tory MP and was yeah. like, this is a, a, an egregious like, and racist instrument that is being used against black British music. Um, uh, we should do something about it. You know, boss, your culture minister, why don't you know? And it makes sense that like a young conservative would want to show like, Hey, look, I'm kind of cool and liberal. Mm. Like I, 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 I'm down with the kids. I'm down with this beat. This was, this was the David Cameron friendly Tory party as well. That his, I mean, I think Allegedly. he's on that side of it. Yeah, like so he, yeah. you know, he he he. he, um, he Theresa May wants to make all British culture just Morris dancing. <laughs> yeah, I can't see her leading the charge against against Form Six Nine Six. So like, so Matt Hancock, uh, you know, pulls in a bunch of people to provide evidence. Actually, I helped compile some of this. Never, I never met the the man himself, but like, I helped compile some of this evidence from club promoters that they were being persecuted unfairly, that their nights were being shut down ahead of time with like no explanation. They were losing loads of money. And the, the thing that cut through with the Tories, Kel fucking surprise was that, um, you know, this is a commercially viable form of music. It's something that the British economy and the cultural economy in particular, which is, you know, which is sort of our economy now, like is, is, you know, it's, it's about, about these kind of, we don't make things anymore. We, uh, you know, we produce spit bars. We spit bars instead, and like yeah. you know, th this is something that could actually help the British economy. So, so like it wasn't really, it wasn't scrapped on the basis of its obvious immorality. Immorality. Instead, it was scrapped because like grime is now commercially viable. Mm -hmm. um, this so is because we have Stormzy now as well. Yeah, exactly. Stormzy yeah. and Skepta are like stars beyond the UK, even, and they're gener certainly generating like they're doing work for the economy here. And so the interesting thing I think about Matt Hancock is that I have a theory about concert. Just one. I have a theory <laughs> about uh, Tory DCMS ministers in general. I know uh -huh. that DCMS is a relatively new department, but let's say Tory culture ministers in general. Yeah. I think it is a front bench position that is given as a punishment to someone that the prime minister wants to ritually humiliate all the time. Yes. <laughs> because Matt Hancock, while having to explain to... Who, who was this again? Who was he talking to? Uh, the, uh, the, when he was at the Mercury Music yeah. Prize. He, he was, I think it was a Daily Mirror journalist approached him. Well, uh, no, this, is, this is when he was... I think he was talking to an MC. It wasn't just, what's your favorite grime tune, but why do you like grime? He was, he was asked that whether... Um, like what his favorite grime tune was and was unable All to come up by smash mouth <laughs> and he gave the milo answer yeah <laughs> um he had to turn to his advisor his advisor <laughs> and say what um you know what's our favorite skepta tune he was all, he was all specific he was talking about how much he loved skepta he's the world's biggest skepta fan always there in the front row screaming out skepta's bars mm -hmm. and what's your favorite skepta tune um i don't know 
Uh, but yeah, uh, slightly oh, embarrassing. I know he, he's trying so hard. He's trying so hard. What, what, he like, he, as, as like a as a nerd, he can't win in this scenario because he can't say, "Oh, you know, I don't listen to grime, but it's my job to support it as a genre because I'm the culture minister." He has to pretend he knows about it, but then of course he's just fucked. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually I'm gonna find the particular passage because I f- I just fucking love it. Hancock went on to spin Grimes' resurgence as a triumph of Thatcherite values. Oh, God, yes. Shoot it into my veins. (laughs) Cranking it really hard at the factory today. He tells a story of his background, but the thing that excites me is that he can break through. I don't like to wallow in poverty. I think wherever you come from, you can make it. Grime represents modern Britain, the entrepreneurial go-getting nature. It speaks that wherever you come from, you can make it. I mean, Matt Hancock went to has degrees from Oxford and Cambridge and went to a £13,000 a year public school. So it's good that he doesn't want to wallow in poverty. Like, really inspiring. <laughs> Thank God he didn't. Yeah, yeah. But also, like, just on the basis of grime itself, like, well, why is that? Why is it just the opposite of what the case is? I mean, I, I suppose the, the short answer to that is like grime is a collective endeavor. It's not it's not a triumph of Thatcherite values. It's a triumph of working class kids having incredible creativity, resilience, and and understanding that collaboration produces great fucking art. And that's exactly, you know, this, this wasn't made by kids who like were, you know, in a shed in a fucking field miles from anyone, like lone creative genius auteurs. They were, they were fucking crammed into incredibly like tight tower blocks where like, you know, there's, you know, six people in, in, in a flat that's designed for sort of two or three. And so they're hanging out outside together and they're spitting bars together and they're learning from one another how to make this music and developing it together. So the idea that it's a triumph of, of Thatcherism is, 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 is bullshit. Like Thatcher, yeah. Thatcherite values are in fucking Canary Wharf looming over them, taunting them yeah. like, you know. Well, it's like this is... Thatcher, this- Thatcher was just playing the long game, right? Thatcher destroyed <laughs> council housing. So then all these guys knew the only way they'd ever be able to afford a flat in London is if they became a successful grime MC. Thatcher <laughs> wanted to motivate them. It was her dedication to grassroots British music that really made her stand out for me as a prime minister. Yeah, we needed like a gritty urban atmosphere in order for that to happen. <laughs> so that's the thing. It's like this is this what I love though is that Matt Hancock is like it's like trying to make a point, like trying to pick up a penny, but the penny is nailed to the ground and he just splits his pants wide open and everyone sees his ass. It's hilarious. It's the verbal version of that. Absolutely. Um so but that, that that speaks to I think the British establishment's like schizophrenic relationship, not just with grime, but with outsider culture as well. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, it's always from going back to like pop music in the 1960s and Radio Caroline, we were talking about earlier, like, you know, the, the, there's always been this complete alienation among, among, you know, our incredibly class ridden society, um, this complete alienation from grassroots and working class culture and youth culture in general. There's been there's hostility to it since youth culture was fucking invented, you know? Since what makes it, youth since, culture youth culture? Exactly, you know, since it was like, you know, the Victorian era and youth culture was like having one of those circular bits of wood and a stick that you kind of <laughs> run along the ground well, with. Well, that's like, just the thing, is like any, anyone, anyone who thinks, any young person <laughs> who thinks that youth culture is bad is basically like, a, you know, a, a young Tory who thinks he's going to get top from wearing an ascot. Yeah, you know, like it just doesn't make any. It it is so obviously bootlicking. Yeah, to have any other point of view, and that's why it's great that you you know that like one of the biggest pop stars in the UK right now would win a Brit Award. I'm talking about Stormzy, and would use that platform to like produce some new lyrics and a really like visually stark kind of performance in which he berated Theresa May for like doing fuck all about Grenfell. 
you know, uh, he, what, what were his bars like? Uh, something like you, you thought we forgot about Grenfell? Like, yeah, you should go to fu- you should go to j- you should do some jail time. I think he said, yeah, absolutely fucking incredible. Well, um, you know, that's that's the relationship that the establishment has with British youth culture. Youth but, culture fucking hates it. Well, because the the establishment relationship with British youth culture is is. I think the reason it's schizophrenic is that someone like Matt Hancock will come along and celebrate it when it's commercially viable. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, uh, in fact, I think at the same time, I think in the same <laughs> summer, yeah. um, you have all these grime MCs being blamed for the London riots uh-huh. because they say, oh, you're glorifying violence with your music. There's yeah. the same, the same justification that they used. Um, to you know, give someone a, a to give a genius an asbo that doesn't let him go over the fourth floor of a building. Yep. It's the same concept that's being used to say no, you're responsible yep. for for the antisocial behavior among young people, and definitely not us basically mortgaging their futures from them. Yeah, I mean, it was it was inevitable, really, that following the riots, someone would try and find a way to blame some kind of youth culture for it. And grime and rap was like, I guess, first on the chopping block for that. Like, it wasn't violent video games. It wasn't yeah. like, it it's, wasn't horror movies. It was like, here's this music that that is like, sort of sonically obnoxious and ferocious. And that's why I fucking love it. Uh, but it's also like, describing a lot of the poverty, the, the narrow horizons. And in some cases, though not like as much as drill rap music now, like describing street violence and, th- and like drug dealing and stuff as well. Uh, so you had, I mean, I remember th- that summer 2011, I was writing, I was there when the riots kicked off and, you know, all this reporting is in the book as well. Like I saw a double-decker bus set on fire on Tottenham High Street. That, owns. that was a pretty weird Saturday night out, I must say. It doesn't happen that often anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, like, uh, the week that followed involved a hell of a lot of writing for me and also like beef with, you know, avatars of British uh, multiculturalism, David Goodhart and, and twats like that, who are like, yeah, you know, this, this music is, is rotten to the core. And it was around that time that David Starkey is, you know, gave that like completely like fascist, basically performance on Newsnight, stunning poor Owen Jones into silence, almost into silence. Like I think nobody was expecting this sort of eminent TV historian to appear and say in the aftermath of the riots, something, I think it was like the whites have become black there. Mm. And there's something basically corrosive in black culture. He says mm. like, it's part of this, it's part of this uh, overall idea that, um, that, that, that economic forces don't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that everything is cultural and everything is more or less a choice that you make net of everything else in your life because you are a homo economicus as part of a regression <laughs> analysis. Yeah. That's what you are. Uh, is your, everything is net of everything else. Yeah. And that's why um, someone can look at one of the three things that cultural conservatives trot out <laughs> to try and explain social decay because they are mm-hmm. extraordinarily literally minded people yeah. who don't understand that violent lyrics in a grime tune can be a metaphor yeah, or can yeah. be expressing something that isn't somehow literal mm-hmm. or even can be telling a story of something that happened. It's like a cry for help ultimately yeah. of just like, this is the shit that I'm seeing every day. It fucking sucks. My and, best mate was stabbed to death. Do you know what I mean? And like, then it's like, oh, the song said stab to death. It's going to make people stab other yeah, people yeah, to death yeah. because they. But, but that's because they they don't they don't have. I think they're they are so literal minded and uncomplex, mm-hmm. or they're so cynical about everyone who doesn't also have PPE degrees. Yeah, that they think they're sort of so easily influenced as to just do what they're told more or less yeah but it speaks to the enormous the enormous sense that british youth culture is basically a reaction against being patronized yeah i mean and, yeah. and also it seems like a really weirdly late bout of per, like pearl clutching given that you've had like american hip-hop music with violent lyrics since like the 80s 
And like, if, if anything, by comparison, grime is like relatively sort of uh, like quaint and like it has that kind of like mundane day to day. I mean, I don't know that I'm much kind of about funny. Grime, the ground of this. It has a lot of like, oh, like talking about watering your plants or whatever. Like these weird like touches of like mundaneness to it, which <laughs> is like way less of that like aggro gangster shit that you get more what's, of in what's, like, American what's that, what's music, that, as far as I can tell. What's that song that has the chorus, New Beamer, Mama's House, uh, Chandeliers and Council Flats? Oh, man. I don't know. Oh man, I'm gonna look that up. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's it, it's also true that like Grimes, like Aggie or like as as the slang has it, like greasy lyrics, i.e. the violent ones. Uh, that's greasy with a Z. If anyone's transcribing this, um, oh, it's a uh, forefather. <laughs> okay, right, yeah, right. the um, the Kano tune. But they were uh, th- those kind of lyrics are often like quite funny as well. Like you know, someone like Jamie will talk about. Uh, He's got a line where like, I'll box you up like you were David Blaine and shit, which I think, <laughs> which is just great. Like, you know, this, this stuff is like inherently comical. It's shadow boxing. It's like, it's playful. It's like, it's play fighting essentially. And, and it's, it's pretty, pretty funny. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, uh, I think that actually gets us where we want to go. Amazing. Um, so like I said before, everyone go by Dan's book, Inner City Pressure. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Dan Hancocks. Correct. And um, yeah, just listen, listen to Grime. And if you see a rave, maybe go to it. Share, yeah. share this episode link on the Matt Hancock oh. me app. Before I go, before I go, before I go, I also want to do uh, t-shirt shout outs. Um, hold on. Sorry, yeah, you Nate. remembered. Yeah. Our special boy, finally. <laughs> uh, to everybody who has ordered t-shirts uh, from Edie uh, at Lil Comrade. We have such excellent um, uh, uh, text. These are the highlights. Uh, we have gammon is a slur. Gammon is haram. Uh, just the phrase custom text here. I love that one. That's, uh, one, that's the one I, that's the one that's I keep meaning to get. Uh, yeah. <laughs> war replaced with free everything. <laughs> and escape rooms are killing youth culture. <laughs> and finally, my favorite one, uh, which our producer's wife has ordered, uh, we'll have Nate edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so commodify your descent with a shirt, buy a shirt, <laughs> buy a shirt. Uh, and also thank you to Ginseng for our theme tune. And uh, again, Dan, thank you for coming on. Man, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. All right. Yeah, it was great. Later, everybody. Bye. Laters. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.